give as a direct address as possible? Oh. <laughs> All right. Good. Thank you, everybody, for uh, having me back. Uh, it means quite a lot, really. It really does. Um, to have this privilege and this uh, ever-cultivating friendship and camaraderie in the work of the gospel and in Christ. So thank you uh, for bringing me in. Uh, I got to speak at Sierra View this morning. So as long as we don't have any uh, crossover, uh, you know, we're okay because we have the same sermon <laughs> this morning. Um, and I am um, bringing to you, or together we are going to, the latter portion of Hebrews chapter 6 for tonight. And in it is a memorable phrase. It may already be familiar to you. Um, as I would read, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. A memorable phrase. And that will be the substance of, of what we talk about as the context drives toward it. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Um, what I'd like to investigate with you as we together look at this passage is the evidence in the Word that the Lord works with us to establish us in His hope. He communicates. He expresses words of assurance which we may trust. And even beyond that, the declaration of a sworn commitment for our sake to anchor our souls in Him. As though to say, you can trust me in this. I swear to it. <laughs> um, and that's, that's for us. It's it's working with us to, to ground us in the hope that we can hang on. A couple of things we need to know about the first recipients of uh, the book of Hebrews, the letter. It is a letter. It's, it's to a very particular place, very particular persons. I always think of that when I read toward the end of this letter. And he says, well, Timothy's been released. If, you know, if it works out well, I'll come and see you soon. So that's got to be to a place. That's, that's to persons in a particular situation. But a couple of things to know about those persons. Throughout the letter, they are called upon to hold on to what they'd heard. It was good news. They had embraced it um, as good news. Hold on to it. Um, and these persons were familiar with the Old Testament, right? Hebrews. Uh, familiar with the Old Testament. It's actually not called Hebrews because there's some verse that says these folks are Hebrews. It's called Hebrews because constantly and throughout, there's always in-depth reference to the Law of Moses, to the Prophets, to the Psalms, and the issues being taken up are all trying to help them understand how does this Lord Jesus Christ relate to all that we've had in the Scripture so far. And so that's something to know about them. But um, they had suffered persecution. Same group. Uh, significant pressure, significant persecution. There were influential voices calling into question whether they could be certain that this Christ who had been preached to them was legitimately the fulfillment of these things, calling it into question. And um, this 
the influential voices were portraying the law of Moses as though it were a complete and sufficient source for the gaining of the righteousness so you could be at peace with God and leave Christ out of it. You know, and I think they're up against that and the whole of the letter uh, touches on that. We need to know that about them. We need to know also that they had suffered threats, loss, harm, these persons had suffered. So the word that comes to them, hold on, comes in that, in that context. Hold on to the truth of it, the hope of it, because what you've heard is real. But also hold on under this kind of pressure. Chapter 10 testifies to that, saying to them, remember those earlier days after you had received the light. When you stood your ground in a great contest, in the face of suffering, sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were treated. You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and more lasting possessions. So don't throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You see the context of they're being addressed under these circumstances as today's word comes to them. These persons needed to be grounded in hope, grounded firmly in hope. And again, we've got that, that phrase that I hope is uh, from this day forward ever inscribed yet deeper on your faith. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul. Firm. And secure. Do you need, I'm assuming you need, an anchor for your soul to hold on in the face of whatever? Or also matters of waiting. Waiting for the fulfillment of the promised things. We all still wait. And the persons to whom this letter was written were told, um, we want you to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what's promised. Reflecting, of course, on the whole scope of biblical characters who trusted and received. Um, bringing up then Abraham, who's, who's, who we'll study. But the, uh, the, the mention is of Abraham who waited patiently, it says. We need to explore that one. <laughs> um, these persons, they needed to... Uh, Imitate those who through faith and through patience inherited. And it's, it's really addressed quite directly to us who have also entrusted ourselves to the hope held before us in the gospel. Let's read. This is chapter 6, Hebrews six thirteen on through 20. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so, after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. Men swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument, because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear 
to the heirs of what was promised. He confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus, who went before us, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Let's explore this a little bit. Um, The inspired author brings up the Abraham situation, the promise to Abraham, God's dealings with Abraham to encourage the readers. God did this in this way so that you might be encouraged. I think that's for you. That's for me. (laughs) Um, And I want to ask two questions about Abraham. Don't need out loud answers. Just just a couple of questions for you to ponder. Did Abraham believe God in this promise? Mull it a little bit. But secondly, two questions side by side. Did Abraham believe? And secondly, was the experience of entrusting himself to God to this promised hope, was it difficult for him in his humanity, in his weakness? Were there points along the way that Abraham was bewildered? I believe we can demonstrate from Scripture that there is a yes answer to both of those questions. Abraham believed God. In his humanness, in his weakness, was it hard sometimes? (laughs) I think... Uh, we can demonstrate that from the Word. Um, what, by the way, is the biblical evidence that Abraham believed God's promise concerning, and it's the, the one stated here is, I'll bless you. I'll give you many descendants. Did Abraham believe that? Well, it, it's funny because it's not too hard to call to mind the struggles. You know, you could, oh yeah, you know, <laughs> and we're going to touch on those. But whatever we do with question one, did Abraham believe, we've got to take into account Scripture's testimony on that score, which says he waited patiently and received what was promised. Okay? That's what it declares. Think also of Genesis 15:6. Abraham believed the Lord. He credited to him his righteousness. Famous, famous, famous words, Genesis 15. Think also of the testimony later in Hebrews at chapter 11. Verse 11, by faith, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was able to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so, from this one man, and him as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. Think of the testimony. I mean, we're we're multiplying testimony here from Romans chapter 4, verse 19. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, 
but was strengthened in his faith, faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he promised. Did Abraham believe? That's pretty big testimony that he did. But the second question, I think, is also, and at the same time, a valid question. What was the experience of that across years of waiting? The issue is uh, patience and you know faith and patience in inheriting what's promised. There's a lot of waiting for Abraham. What was that like for Abraham? Let's move on to that testimony because that's in here too, you know, in the in the scripture. Um, let's take for instance the very chapter from which come the the most famous of words. Abraham believed the Lord; he credited to him his righteousness. Chapter 15 in Genesis. Do you remember anything about just, I mean, this is top of your head, Bible quiz, uh, not out loud, but anything about the context of Genesis 15? Abraham had just come off of a very threatening situation. Now, he had come out and he was able to rescue Lot and and he was safe and everything. But the situation is desperately threatening. An alliance of four tribal kings, tribal neighboring kings, overcoming and beating out five more and just taking over areas and taking Lot and taking him away and, and all of his family and all of his goods and everything like that. When, you know, he's got a pretty cool army of 400 and some, but, <laughs> you know, are, you know, trained men uh, that he's got with him. But still, it seems that the Lord reached out to Abraham even after that. I mean, you come out. I'm still alive. <laughs> you know, he comes out of it. The Lord reaches out to him, appears to him. Genesis 15:1. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abraham. Do you see him working with Abraham? Working with him in this faith journey and in this faith processing and, and hanging on and all of that. The word came in a vision. Do not be afraid. I am your shield. Your very great reward. But Abraham said, you hear the cadence of it? (laughs) But Abraham said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me? Since I remain childless, and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham said, you've given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. He's bewildered while he waits. He'd already had the promise. He's working with that. And uh, really the heart of what I'm trying to say today, looking at this passage, is that God reached to him to encourage him. Reached to him with words of commitment so that he might know. Um, and I think that's, that's really, really important. He's got bewilderment. It doesn't seem to have unbelief, according to all the testimony we've got, you know, <laughs> He believed the Lord, but this was a long season of waiting for the promised things. And the Lord chose along the way to encourage him. Think of another evidence of Abraham's bewilderment in Genesis 17.17. That's that late in the game. They're only about a year away from Isaac's birth, but Abraham is 99 99 years old. And when he heard from the Lord that Sarah would bear a son, 
he fell face down, Genesis 17, 17, laughed and he said to himself, will a, will a man, will, will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? And then even saying to God this, verse 18, if only Ishmael might live under your blessing. He's bewildered. He doesn't know how to figure it out. He's, God's made a promise. But what? Like, how is this going to happen? <laughs> and he appeals to God. And, and But God worked with him to give him hope. By the way, how long is Abraham's waiting time on the promise? I mean, you don't have to say out loud. How, how long is Abraham's waiting time? First promise of, well, I mean, Genesis 12:1, leave your country, your people, your father's household, go to the land I'll show you, and I will make you into a great nation. You can't do that without having kids. And he already knows that Sarah is barren, or Sarai at that time is barren. I will make you a great nation and bless you. He's given that promise in Ur before leaving. Did you know, timing-wise, that upon first launch out of Ur, um, he doesn't go all the way to the promised land the first time. He settles in Haran, which is probably 400 miles north and a little east of the promised land. Um, he had to travel, and i got to get Google Maps out again, but he had to travel like seven or 800 miles just to get to Haran because that's the travel route up and down. But, but he settled in Haran. So that the Scripture says of him, Genesis 12:4, Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. Now, I don't know when, the, I don't know how old he was in Ur, <laughs> you know. But he's up there till 75, and that's already not looking real good for having you know, children. Um, <clears throat> there's another thing we know about time. We've already mentioned it. How old was he when Isaac was born? The big 100. So 75. He's in the promised land for 25 years waiting. And waiting not till it would seem a little unusual that she would have a baby, but till it was flatly humanly impossible. This would have to be an absolute, direct, full-on miracle from the hand of God for this to occur. But he had in his hands God's promise. Uh, it's a long, long wait. And uh, here's the thing, though. If you read through the Abraham story, just <clears throat> course through the whole thing, the Lord really did reach to him quite a number of times to say, I'm with you. I am with you. And you get that instance in Genesis 15. Don't be afraid. I'm your shield. I'm, I'm your very great reward. And he's, the Lord is choosing to communicate. Choosing to encourage. Um, that's what we're exploring is God's, not only God's willingness to encourage, but His will to encourage. He is encouraging um, Abraham. So the Lord came to him a number of times. But I want to touch on two really important instances because both of them involve oath from God in covenant commitment. And it happens in Genesis 15 and it happens in Genesis 22. I think our Hebrews passage alludes most directly to Genesis 22. That's where the wording comes from. But I'll back up to Genesis 15 just for, for a bit because in that scenario... 
the Lord responded to Abraham's question, how can I know? Right? He'd already poured his heart out. You know, Eliezer of Damascus is my heir. What's that? <laughs> he poured his heart out to God. Didn't know what to do with that. You know, how's it, how's it going to happen? And he, he, he actually says to the Lord, how can I know? And the Lord's response to him which, as we read, it seems a little confusing to the modern mind. I don't think it was confusing at all to Abraham. The Lord's response was, in effect, to swear upon it on blood oath that he would keep his promise. The Genesis 15 is the one where the animals have to be slain and there's a, a sort of a corridor of death set out with parts of animals on two sides and God himself seems to, in the visual that he's bringing with the the burning coals and whatever to pass through the uh, the severed animals and the, the corridor of death, if you will. And again, that seems strange to the modern mind, but would not have been strange to Abraham. Uh, making promise on blood that was known. That was that was not out of the culture. That was understood to have blood shed and promise on blood. And what that would have communicated to Abraham is that God was death serious, if you will, about keeping this promise. There's no stronger way to say I swear by my very self than to do it on blood in, in that manner. I won't go into full depth about the nature of that thing, but I think that's exactly what's being communicated. The second instance comes in Genesis 22. Um, in that passage, Genesis 22, God provided atoning sacrifice, a substitute for Isaac, whose life seemed forfeit there at the altar of burnt offering. The altar that is the place of fire, the place of death. Isaac seemed forfeit there, but the Lord provided and to encourage Abraham, who had entrusted himself that radically to God, because he had. When he's got the knife up, he's entrusting himself to God's will and God's promise. Do you remember what he said to Isaac on the way up the hill? The Lord will provide the land. Isaac said, you know, I, I, got, I see the wood and stuff. <laughs> Where's the lamb? <laughs> you know? uh, and he said, the Lord will provide the lamb. He had, he had cast himself... Um, that radically upon God's faithfulness and God encouraged, chose to encourage him at that time saying, Genesis 22:16, I swear by my very self, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed. He's going to gospel with that. I don't know exactly how much Abraham understood of that. <laughs> you know. But I think in, in the context of our passage today from Hebrews, what exactly is going on is that the Lord is, is declaring on oath, swearing by His very self that the promise of salvation will come to its fruit in Him, raising up a people for himself and in bringing a savior, you know, through your offspring, all nations will be blessed. This is about Jesus Christ, ultimately, 
Again, I don't know exactly how much Abraham understood. But I did read the words from Genesis. That was the context. I swear by myself I will you know, make you the father of many. This is a Father's Day message. <laughs> father, father of many, uh, you know, as, as many as the stars in the sky, the sand and the seashore. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. Here's something to notice about Hebrews 6. There is a stated purpose for his having dealt with Abraham in that manner. You know, men swear by someone greater than themselves puts an end to all argument. Well, because, and that's the, that's the purpose word, because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose clear. He wanted to show it to the heirs of what's promised. He dealt in the way that we've seen described. It goes on with purpose words. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in, in which it is impossible for God to lie. I had one of the, one of the guys at the, the prison asked me, what two things are we talking about? First of all, if God declares anything, it, he won't go back on it. That's just there. But then when he goes and adds to swear on it by oath, that's number two. It's impossible for God to lie in either of these categories. We who have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. And that's what brings it all the way to the reader's it brings it all the way to you and me. We who have fled to take hold of this hope, this Savior, this great story of redemption and salvation. He dealt in this manner. He reached out with words to encourage, to declare on oath. And He's doing so to you uh, even as I speak. God declaring on oath through His Word that He will bring this salvation about. He will. And you may trust that. Um, even if you're in a waiting time. You know, um, hold on to this truth. I notice, in, you know, we have this hope, it says, is an anchor for our soul. Firm. Secure. Did you notice in verse 19, it goes an interesting place. The wording goes an interesting direction. It enters the inner sanctuary. I don't know how, how all the translations read. Do you have another translation there? I have NIV. What does that translation say? And that's the interesting thing. A hope that enters, you know, behind the curtain. Every reader, every Jewish reader of this would know exactly what he's talking about, entering behind the curtain. That's Day of Atonement stuff. That's, that's a singular event each year. That's Day of Atonement stuff. This hope of which this author speaks, the hope itself enters behind the curtain where, verse 20, where Jesus went before us and entered on our behalf. He really is talking about salvation here. Not just a big family and, and nice properties for Abraham. This always was about the ultimate completion of God's plan of salvation in Christ. And this author, all through the book of Hebrews, has been helping them get there. I think what I hope for my own soul and for you is to recognize the evidence in this passage that God cares to encourage you. That He would reach out. God doesn't have to swear an oath. 
Right? Human beings maybe do that. Like, I got to make a promise or I'll never keep this. I, I got to bind myself or something and then I'll do it. Right? That's not the way it is with God. The entire focus of saying, I swear by my very self, I'm death serious about this promise, you know, if you will, is toward you so that you might have an anchor for your soul, firm and secure. This hope you can trust. Um, it has nothing to do with God trying to, God trying to get himself to do something. <laughs> you know, he's done it for you. And so, um, you know, part of my hope is that you would realize that the one, the one by whose words worlds come into existence has chosen to give you words on oath. You can trust him. You who have fled to take hold of the hope set out before you, you may trust him through all the waiting of your life. All the waiting through things and all the things yet unfulfilled, you may trust Him through and to the end. And so we want you to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. That was a verse just before that. Um, I think of the wording from Hebrews 9 that says, He appeared, speaking of Jesus Christ, He appeared once for all at the end of the ages, to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. As this author puts that whole picture before them, he is speaking quite directly uh, about redemption itself, that God will keep his promises concerning saving folks. You can entrust yourself to him. And when you struggle, when you are bewildered, I mean, I'm, I'm standing here to admit that I get bewildered. That's not necessarily unbelief proper. <laughs> we can believe and seek and we grow in, our, in the strength of our understanding and of our faith. What were the words from, if I can get my Romans 4 again, he did not waver through unbelief regarding God's promise, but was strengthened in his faith. Strengthened is a process word. <laughs> you know, he's, he's being established in his faith as it goes on and as God reaches to him to help him with the very faith issue and to understand and to, to cast himself upon his mercies. And so I'm thankful that God um, is disposed to us like that to help establish us in hope. Um, and so that's what I bring to you. Let's pray.